0: This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's EDIUS 6. Check out the new EDIUS 6 at www.grassvalley.com. This episode is also brought to you by Blackmagic Design. The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available for $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced-featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com
1: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
0: Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week we've got, uh, well, we're gonna have a dual episode. So we're gonna actually have two episodes back to back. So if you've downloaded this one, this one involves interviewing Mark Bone, who's a stereographer here in Toronto. Uh, if you've downloaded this one, there's another one coming with uh, Matt Cahill, who's a post supervisor. And that will be coming right after this. So both of these interviews actually come from my Focal Press article. And both interviews were done without the intention of ever broadcasting them or putting them up on our podcast. So, I never bothered to bring mics with me or anything. I just bought a quick recorder. So when you listen to these, you're gonna notice that there's a lot of room and we're not really right next to the mic. And the idea was I was just writing an article at the time. However, I thought I might as well let the listeners hear this. One thing to keep in mind, this is my interview with Mark Bone and he's actually got a great website to help those getting into 3D, and that's Stereo3dunlimited.com. Stereo3dunlimited.com. So, this is my interview with Mark Bone. So, what are you guys working on here? Well, there's a, uh, there, right now,
2: we're, there's a, there's a few different things. I'm um, working with the Adobe software, and they're, uh, and they're set up with Cineform, and, and how to edit in there, and navigating uh, that workflow and then we've created a document uh, similar to what I did about a year and a half ago now, I created a document for the current state of Avid and Final Cut in 3D editing and wrote a step-by-step process for how to ingest uh, either a discrete left-and-right left-and-right-eye files or to use like a a pre-muxed file and, and go through the whole process and inevitably just I would talk about throughout the whole documentation too um, like editing techniques and
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and understanding uh, pacing and and I, I do it in my spare time as well, writing because I'm, I'm helping now develop uh, the, the I'm leading the development for uh, curriculum Sheridan on um, their 3D and uh, and then also I work for Dashwood Cinema Solutions where we've created the, the Final Cut Pro pl- plugin amongst other other 3D software so I do a lot of 3D editing there and teaching there um, and then what else do we have we have a a bunch of stuff i'm just trying to think I'm filtering through my mind which relates to editing what doesn't yeah. um, for stuff
0: like the the workflows would I be able to get a copy of those or
2: are those uh no we we can give you the, the uh, like my my i have a couple of workflow documents i can email them to you yeah. they're, they're they're outdated now but they're at least a, a, like one is for avid i think either 3.5 or 5 or 4 mm-hmm. but at least you know it can give a sense of give it. a sense and i can give you the one for final cut which has changed to a certain degree with I can send you the links online to dashboard yeah. and all that because I've wrote all the manuals for our software. Our new yeah. software is coming out soon enough, and currently working on like a, like a National Geographic project, helping oversee the editing of that, yeah. and, and uh, what I'm doing for that project. It's because it's so crucial. If you've mentioned that uh, there's a lot of technical things, but as much there needs to be, which I appreciate with this production company I'm working with, is they've hired mm-hmm. me there to oversee and to help see that not only are the right 3D shots being put in there, but for the 3D... <laughs> 3D is this other element that's mm-hmm. invisible, but that if it's not acknowledged, it kind of just will kind of flop. It's just like you can throw it... It's like a wet blanket on your project. Yeah. But if you actually partner with the 3D in your editing process, you can create like a really beautiful story, mm-hmm. and there's a... It's a, um, a subconscious experience that, yeah. that, that you it's have. Yeah, it's just it is. Yeah, exactly, there it is. But if you use it... Uh, keenly and actually plan it out it can be quite submersive uh, like you can sorry immersive like you bring your audience really into the story and I I think there's many techniques that are more subtle but um, so that I'm excited about that it's a documentary about the polar bears up north and so I'll be able to help like I'm excited to actually work work with them and and implement that and then working with some animation companies in Oakville on their 3D films which is great because there's so much control and, 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 and animation and and you kind of almost plan out the whole edit ahead of time Mm -hmm. and so you can make 3D great but I don't know if you had any questions right now about the 3D I want to give you as much I'll end up just talking your ear off about anything but but
0: Um, I guess like yeah like my main focus is techniques but like I guess things like um, uh, do you plan yeah I guess everything I've read is the best thing to do is to start write as soon as you get the script start writing out like here maybe uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that, stereo script that, that's that's. Well, yeah.
2: No, there's there's the depth script, yeah, which um, script. I should maybe I should post some of my uh, I have a whole keynote about this. I should post some of it online, but I guess one thing to answer is that probably a lot of the question that you, well, a lot of the the reason why you're only getting technical stuff mm-hmm. about it right now is because primarily that's most people's experience. It's yeah. just technical. Like they you know how to set up a 3D suite. But there's not been a lot, unfortunately, fleshing out like storytelling in 3D. Like it's the last thing in all the conferences. It's always like the the one hour session. Yeah, and it's always kind of so convoluted. People are like, oh, well, we don't know. But it's something I really do like discussing because I'd like to flesh it out. And I'm hoping to do a project here as well, which um, I'm going to be showing people different scenes over and over again, mm-hmm. and having different convergence points and different step depth budgets, and then also doing this classic 3D gags, and getting. Um, lot of viewer response and viewer experience and mm-hmm. an immediate response s- to how the viewer will react with that to know because um, there's some classic shots we know in 2D that people love but it's, it's good to know what works with 3D because 3D isn't just a a versatile experience but it's a felt experience like you mm-hmm. feel the 3D so you unfortunately um, just like sound you can hurt your audience with it but I guess um, a depth script is very important um, it'd be great to have I mean if the editor is considered to be integral to the storytelling which, which they are mm-hmm. then having them as a part of that it, it's what what I like doing is and it's, it's classic there's different ways you can set it up whether it be just a broken line graph or an actual bar graph mm-hmm. but you set up with your script and your scenes and you can um depending on how you're comfortable with it you can e- even begin writing for each scene saying like the uh, the emotive response depending on the scene like if the scene has a certain emotion or if you know like this is a, this is a scene about the characters falling in love they're in an intimate room and it's tight shots you then begin building a death script and just like you'd have for sound where you don't want your film to be at at minus 20D yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. thing where you don't want your 3D to be this extensive you want to have peaks and valleys and you want to have pacing just like your editing, you know, you're editing you're going to have cut faster at the action mm-hmm. sequence and then for the scene where they're, you have your two characters just staring into each other's eyes you know, you're doing a long shot on that just with the 3D it's like if you my opinion and I've, I've discussed this and other stereographers have different opinions but it's when we're doing a love scene, I like to, to bring the depth in smaller. I know you f- want to feel like you're closer, but I don't want any 3D aspects to become distracting. Mm-hmm. I want it to be h- completely comfortable so that you're, you know, you're, you're engaging with your with your subject. And I want to bring them out of the screen a bit more, which is something you can change in post, but, mm-hmm. but sometimes you don't decide as an editor. Sometimes that's the stereographer's decision yeah. in the depth grading. Just like an editor doesn't have much decision into the color, yeah. they don't necessarily have much decision in the... Um, in the depth placement but uh yeah you create a depth script and then it's really nice afterwards because it's a it's a quick visual of of like all your depth and then you're going well like look we have too much 3d in this section why don't we give the viewers eyes a break and give them even the fact is like when you put an explosion in a Mm -hmm. film they often will drop the sound for about two seconds beforehand and not that that explosion is any much more louder than what was happening here it's the fact that now you have that contrast yeah. right before that. You're like, wow, that's loud. So even with the 3D, if you bring the 3D down and then bring it back up again, it's that having contrast. So making sure you have the right moments of contrast <laughs> throughout it. Because if you want to have your big epic moment when an avatar, when the spear comes out of the screen <laughs> and there's the impact of, like, they're right there. If you have all the stuff coming out of the screen beforehand, then there's yeah. no contrast.
0: So but when you're talking pacing, are you, you're not talking, like, Scenes pacing itself, but like a
2: pacing for three D. No, I'm d- I guess I'm talking uh, about. Um, I guess yeah, no, I guess it is the three D pacing is what I'm talking about because you'll see, like I'm saying, like is there too much three D? I guess the pacing of three D is like, are you having a variety of in the screen and coming out of the mm-hmm. screen, and also are you having a variety of, of of a a lot of depth or a lot of or not much depth? Unfortunately, what happens is is a lot of the newer i i mean I, I hate saying new say art because' i'm in, in consideration of what other people are yeah. and I've only been doing it for some, like two and a half years now, but you'll see people rush into it and just make the decisions for depth on the day mm-hmm. when you it's when it really there should be a consideration for the like the entire story it would it would be like um i don't know if you kind of like deciding story elements as you go yeah. on. but um as an editor though you can if if there is an ability to choose which shots have the depth, I mean to create that variety, but you don't want that to ever sacrifice your your story. Its story comes first. Mm-hmm. But your if you can create a depth script ahead of time or encourage that, then what's happening is uh, the depth is complementing your storytelling. You're not going to be fighting it.
0: So, would you recommend because you can keep the depth with the two cameras? almost flat on set and then do it in post, would you prefer...
2: No, you actually, you really, you really can't unless you're dimensionalizing. What, what happens is when we shoot, if you if can imagine this is the, the screen plane here, mm-hmm. I'll just put that sideways, um, is on set, just to put in really simple terms, because mm-hmm. there's other elements, but separation we have between the cameras determines, if, if my audience is looking at the screen, and this is the screen here, determines the amount of depth. Yeah but uh in post we can shift that location of that mm-hmm. to a certain extent if we if we shift it too far back the background will might go so far s- separated that our eyes can't accommodate mm-hmm. but we can shift it we can't ever compress it okay. unless we use like a f- a, like program nuke with some of their crazy yeah. plugins but that's you're doing unnatural stuff to it then you're you're it's like you know it's like when someone screws up frame rate and then you have to go in and use a special plugin to correct yeah. that yeah. it's it's not a that it's not a natural thing you're not necessarily even getting natural depth so as an editor, I guess you're. Um, I'm trying to think of decisions because it's tough. Because in my case, I'm thinking of, of bigger films where the editor, you, your your project is for storytelling, and would in some of the cases on the films, like in this National Geo one, I have more influence in those elements, so there's more mm-hmm. control. But I'm trying to put it. I'm trying to think of, not saying it in ways that an editor wouldn't have control of those. But I sorry, what was the question again? Because I did have an answer in uh Uh,
0: the one I was. You just talked about it was shifting the yeah. post
2: versus y- onset. Well, yeah, you can shift it to a certain extent, and there's depth cuts which mm-hmm. we often implement. Where um, if you're the the area of which your subject is, if let's say on one shot he's coming way out of the screen, mm-hmm. and then your next shot he's deep in the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, as an editor, you can um, you can uh, uh, carry out depth cuts, which right before that cut in the timeline like a a second before it you begin shifting that character back towards the screen and then when this shot starts they may be at the screen and then they can go back to their to their natural position of which the cameras were shot you can do subtle depth cuts just pulling the subject from shot to shot Closer to to the same mm-hmm. area to accommodate uh, what would happen with the eye, viewer's yeah. eyes, as because if it's out here and then back there, the eyes are going to be shifting. But if you can be to slightly toe it, it's it's a more of a, a slower motion because our eyes are are using muscles, and so for the muscle, it's like you want to slowly be able to um, yeah. move that rather than jerking. And you do that all day, it's going to get sore. And, and that's something, sorry for uh, for editors to understand yeah. too, is that. It is, it's a workout on our eyes yeah. and so we want to accommodate properly You think about it. Um, you want your audience to enjoy it so having a, a, a smoother experience and, and to not to place bad 3D shots in a row because it's going to be a lot of strain after a while. But that's, unfortunately that shouldn't, an, an editor shouldn't, unless they're doing documentary, it really shouldn't be their job to, to decide about bad 3D. They should be getting <laughs> they should be getting all good 3D, yeah. you know. But uh, inevitably at this point there is a lot of there's a lot of bad 3D out there and it's unfortunate and uh, and a lot of the viewers and audience are, are revolting a bit about Canon Stip which I'm totally all for because that's going to... Yeah,
0: things it's, like Clash of the Titan. Yeah, exactly.
2: It's, it's going to whip people it's going to whip the 3D crews into shape where, mm-hmm. or rather the producers who are just throwing the gimmick of 3D onto it, you know. So something like
0: because um, when I talk to i talked to a few post-supers and I guess maybe it's like a lack of terminology but something like the horror movies where it's just like something comes out of the screen uh, they would refer to it as like a throw or a something. gag yeah, yeah. Uh, is that like proper terminology so you you'd like say
2: we, we call that a negative parallax gag and okay. we call it gag I think also to discourage its repetitive <laughs> use but it is a bit of a gag where it's like it's it's like you know I probably have that term because a lot of people I work with are, are stunt action coming from that background mm-hmm. And those a gag is a, is a, is often used as a term to describe one of those things like when when a guy kicks close to the camera or it's one of those it's yeah. one of those things that you, you incorporate into action scenes but in fact they're just that's what they are. But no, it, it is, and, in, and that's great contrast. It's it's fun. You can you can play with that too. I guess why why we sometimes do depth cuts and and these are all suggested guidelines. Like they're they're rules that are like crossing the axis. Now it used to be like mm-hmm. never do it, but now you see films. It's like when I was in film school it was like don't ever cross the axis but now when I watch movies I get so confused because I'm like they seem to be like they cross yeah. it all over the place but and no John Cutts, but no and, and that's but that's the thing is we've taught our audience to accommodate for that and that's that's we, we really forget that like you're watching a film is like reading a book in the mm-hmm. sense that there's certain things we do that communicate that are completely unnatural but our audience will receive that information and understand where we're we're trying to communicate so with um, with these jump cuts and these techniques, or throwing out negative, I guess it's something that's learned and uh, and and to know that. And I mean, and the classic thing that's said is to like leave the lo- shots longer in three D. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to, but it's the fact that as a, in a tool you can, like you, where um where someone would get bored and uh, um I've been I've been want like I would like to know like watching this one thing I think I was explaining to you about where people's eyes go. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see the same shot in the 3D and see if the people's eyes are running around but you yeah. can leave a shot longer in 3D we find because there's much, it's a, it's a newer experience at least for the next few years people still will look around and enjoy it
0: you
2: have to examine the whole frame exactly, because and, and you, now you're not just receiving um, you're now you're accommodating for a whole new uh, set of uh, variables which is depth and your mind is, is now racing through binocular depth cues which we can analyze something really quickly right now you look at me and you can tell I'm behind these yeah. But uh, it's still it's another set of uh, variables that we have to interpret throughout the scene. So for an editor, it's, you can leave those shots on longer. Uh, like if you were to pan over like, a, a field or, or go through a forest, like, there's so many layers of depth and so many cues that it would be much more enjoyable where you might, you might find that you would need to cut out of that earlier and if it was just a, a 2D film. So that, that, that technique's there. But if your depth budget isn't too extensive, and your subject is closer to in in a tolerable range. You can cut quite quickly in an action scene. It's not something that should necessarily be outright avoided. It's it's if it's done with care. If you're just throwing it in there and you have edge violations and all sorts of bad things, then um, then it can become like a bit jarring when there's all sorts of elements and but what you should be receiving, the editor should be receiving some kind of at least. Decent representation of of, of aligned three D. If you're having to fight or guess, like if something is misaligned or if yeah. it's going to work, that that can become quite difficult in, in editing.
0: So, what are some of the other ideas that you've been like, examining for, for techniques? Um,
2: well, I mean, the I guess I have to back away and think about editing because I'm often yeah, uh, starting at the point of uh, acquisition. Um, I guess for for what i've, I've found for editing is um, is, is, is sometimes contrasting uh, it's it's enjoyable to to keep things within the same parallax range, but like you said, jump like starting I find like starting on a wide shot i mean that 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 technique works, but you can sometimes start um, with something that has more depth, mm-hmm. which because this first shot your audience is always looking around more so if you can start with something that's even closer and has a great deal of depth. You then can move out to the wide shot. But there is so much. Um, what you have to be aware of is that. I guess I'm talking about cinematography. So I was going to say depth. Now that we have binocular information yeah. being sent to the viewer, when I say that, I mean a left and right camera mm-hmm. which expresses depth. Where if you shoot something here with a 2D camera, you might not understand where everything stacks up in 3D is that we're sending more information so establishing shots can be cut differently and shown in different lengths because your audience might be able to establish the spatial awareness of their of, their, uh, of the members within the scene so where you think that you would need to show this wide shot first you may not need to if you cut right over to an over the shoulder or a two shot because all that depth information is there already and your audience will be able to understand and grasp that room Where I know, you know, know, sometimes if two people in a room, you start dollying in front of the office, I found where I've used a medium shot instead of going to the wide shot, it still expresses that that spatial um, relationship Mm -hmm. between both subjects and and the desk that you can kind of jump into that a bit quicker than... Than having to, to establish every piece of the room. Not yeah. not even now though. You watch a film like, like like a TV show like CSI, and they they get rid of a lot of. They just yeah. get right into it, and you know you're you might see a shot of an office, then you jump into like an extreme close You know. <laughs> oh yeah, when you first come into Pandora and like yeah. they land, and of course like you feel like when they drop down in there, you felt like. Yeah, you, you know, Well there's of a sense. couple
0: of scenes that stuck out for me Like when he first gets yeah, like He gets first gets into the forest And I remember mm-hmm. all the plants are Pulling down into each other And they're yeah. all sort of right out by you. And then the other ones And I don't know if I'm remembering this wrong cause I, So I've got to find if other people have felt that But you know where they're sort of reviving his body And they're in yep. the crowd And it pulls back yeah. when It felt like the bodies Of the People came out into the crowd, so it looked like the crowd yeah. was a part of it, no, and that's no, no, where I, I started saying, thinking: yeah. like, there's got to be more to storytelling to that. There definitely
2: is, and and um, one one film, if you ever the chance, which I think they're playing it down at the Ontario, uh, or, sorry, Ontario Place, is U two three D. Yeah, a couple and,
0: of people told me about that. Yeah,
2: and it's it's awesome. There's really good examples of three D editing. What they've done off in that film is they'll put a, a really soft mask around a shot, so they'll have Bono out here, and it'll be a tight shot of him singing, but then they'll have the entire, um, like, stage, like a, a really wide shot of it all here, but they'll push it just behind the screen plane, but they'll have him out here. And then they'll begin stating this, and then they'll bring this out, but in this negative space here, they'll put something in behind there, and they're constantly moving, but they never... If you watch the film, each shot is held for pretty much at least five to ten seconds, but they'll put multiple shots on it and they'll they'll mask and cut around them so that it does feel like there's a fast pace because mm-hmm. sometimes um youtube songs require like you know using yeah. it like in the name of love or like sunday bloody sunday like it's like real fast and it would it would uh it would call for something fairly fast paced editing but i think with the fact that there's so much information being sent to the viewer mm-hmm. because when you scan a 2d frame you immediately there's you kind of gather your depth right away, and then and then it's just a decision if something interesting is happening mm-hmm. in it. But the difference with the depth of the 3D is, they're still like looking at these jellyfish. You now begin thinking like, looking if we look at this in 2D, we have no idea where yeah. those guys are. But when in 3D, we put those on, we at least of course there's no background, but at least now it can be begin to div- div- divulge uh, who's in front of mm-hmm. which one. And so there's there's that experience of. of you kind of actually let your viewer almost like sit inside the scene and, and, yeah. and understand it a bit more. So you can definitely hold the shots for longer. And
0: now what about issues with... Because um, one of the things...
2: just flash at us. So. Yeah, these it's, oh, okay. it's, it needs to get the sensor.
0: Uh, one of the, the things someone mentioned was the difference between theater, television, the and big internet. Difference. And uh, so what are some of the issues with transferring between the different mediums?
2: What happens is if and once again, that's a lot of the question of, of acquisition, mm-hmm. where if you've shot with, uh, like your depth budget on an iPhone can mm-hmm. be much more extensive than what it would be for a 35 foot screen. Because you think about what we call positive parallax, which is yeah. behind the screen. That requires our eyes to um, our, begin to tow out. And uh, you hope that your positive parallax, you hope what the stereographer hasn't done is separated it beyond two and a half inches mm-hmm. for the largest delivery format. But let's say he knows, for whatever reason, we've shot this for the internet, so we know it's pretty much going to be seen on these 27-inch monitors. And so positive parallax fits, you know, it's about... And and parallax is typically measured... um, Animators will measure it in pixels, Mm -hmm. but most cinematographers measure it now in percentage, Mm -hmm. where it's 100%, and then you say, like, oh, I have 2% of negative, so you're saying it's 2% of the screen width. And that will typically relate to a certain distance uh, coming out of the screen depending Mm -hmm. where your subject is sitting and depending how big the screen is. Um, But the um, let's say you have like 2% positive parallax in this. Mm -hmm. That's okay because that might only be as the separation between the left and right image might be as wide as my finger here. But then we go take this screen and make a 35-foot screen, and now my audience member is as big as my pinky here. That separation now is larger than their head and it would yeah. make their eyes toe out. Yeah. So there's, there's concerns about that. And there's also concerns about if you're an editor and you have um, someone on the edge of frame, in the theater, on, like IMAX or, or, or the bigger screens, edge violations as we call them, because what happens yeah. in negative parallaxes is, is our eyes can accommodate for an object in 3D being cropped if it's in the screen because it's the same sensation of like looking through a window. But when we begin to bring that same object out of the screen and begin cropping it, it's a, it's a sensation that we're not used to because you wouldn't just all of a sudden see half a water bottle yeah. floating in this room. So what happens is the left camera here has more information of the bottle than the right camera. The right camera may only have a little sliver and the left camera may have the whole bottle. Mm-hmm. So uh, on a smaller screen where we're, as a viewer, we're much more uh, cognitive of the edges of the screen, what we do is we call a floating window where on the left eye we drop over to match the amount of information the right eye has. Okay. And what that does is when the viewer then looks at that, it now no longer seems like this bottle is floating out here, yeah. but um, it seems as though it's been, the screen plane is what actually happens. Is it actually feels like the screen is like swung out yeah. and it now is in fact in front of that. And they won't ever realize that's occurring, they'll just look at that and think that object's in positive parallax. But yeah. it's still, you haven't changed what we call our, our depth budget or, right. or bracket. It's it's still within the same, still it's all in the same range. All we've done is brought the the perception of where the screen plane is. But in a theater where your audience might be sitting here and he can't really see the edges, he's more concerned about this. It takes up his entire peripheral. Edge violations aren't as much as a concern. And the tough thing with theaters as well is um, the projectionists sometimes mess up. If you go there, you'll look at the curtains. I see a lot of times the, the edges of the film is being shot onto the curtains. And that doesn't matter so much in 2D cinematography because yeah. the action is never supposed to, you know, that's why we have safe action and safe title. Yep. They try to put the action more in the center of the frame because those were always inherent issues. But with 3D, the edge of your frame now is, can be important on smaller formats, like for the home television. Yeah. Broadcasters really encourage using a lot of parallax, positive parallax, and being, being uh, cognitive of where you're placing negative parallax. Not that negative parallax is bad, and that's the problem is negative gets a bad rep.
0: So that was my interview with Mark Bone. Lauren, we have some interesting news to tell people.
1: hmm what would that be?
0: Well, they no longer have to type artofthegillotine.com in. They can just type in aotg.com.
1: Blam, aotg.com, yes. oh, what?
0: It's been a long process to get to that, probably over a year of mm-hmm. negotiating, getting the name, slowly working it into our systems. Now we're slowly switching it over, but, you should be getting everything through AOTG.com now. So even in your iTunes.
1: If you want to keep it at artotheguillotine.com, you can. But AOTG.com is just so much easier. Yeah.
0: You can still type it, in artotheguillotine.com, but.
1: Like it, if it's in your favorites, for instance. Yeah. There you go.
0: However, if you have linked to us through a web page, to a very specific page, uh, I would recommend changing it just because Google might see it as a broken link. So, that was one of our big news uh, pieces. The other is we have a live event coming up.
1: hmm Where?
0: At uh, Ryerson University. We're gonna be having Paul Day who cuts copper, lost girl. He's gonna be talking to a class. And He said, sure, let's do this live.
1: So in Toronto?
0: In Toronto. It's unfortunately not open to the public. So you have to watch it online. Well, it's just to the oh, students. It's a student that he's coming in to talk it's to the students. So
1: a live online event. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I thought you were just telling people that you were going to have a guest speaker <laughs> at a class that you were teaching, and that was it. You're actually going to provide access. But,
0: that reminds me, the last, pod, uh, the last live event, many people tried to hear it and they had trouble. But the good news is, when we were there, we quickly grabbed some other equipment, because we didn't have the cable, mm-hmm. and we recorded it separately. So, we have the audio from that, as well as the video coming from Tage. But what we're going to do is actually cut the audio down, and next week we'll put that up on our podcast for everyone. Awesome! So it's still available. Uh, it's just the live stuff wasn't working. Cool. And that's what we hope to fix with polls.
1: Fantastic. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Lauren, we haven't done a forward film review in a while. Do we still do those? I think so. Okay. Well, you didn't join me on Halloween,
1: so. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So our last fil- forward film review was "Good Pill Hunting," and this week's is "Immunology Frustration Swells Coffers."
0: And uh, Lauren, how can they get that to us if they want to guess?
1: Okay, so if you want to guess and get a wicked crazy T-shirt, it's not that crazy. It's a T-shirt. Um, <laughs>
0: it's the craziest T-shirt around.
1: It's just a T-shirt, really, but it's a very nice T-shirt. It's. Uh,
0: I might have to get another host who doesn't unsell our product.
1: No, I just don't want a, um, you know, I don't want to have legal issues. Uh, but it's it's a lovely shirt, and it'll totally cover your torso. So um, if you're interested in getting yourself a shirt, all you have to do is guess what film we're talking about when we say
0: "good pill hunting"
1: and immunology frustration swells coffers. And if you guess it right then you get a t-shirt and we'll ask if you're size and everything. So how did you contact us? Info at AOTG.com. Oh yeah. So that's the
0: new email. It's much easier to remember. So info at AOTG.com.
1: And as always, um, you know, we'll keep the other email addresses if you It's um, all set
0: up, it's all forwarded to me. Yeah,
1: AOTG. if you if you have already contacted Gord before, don't worry about changing all your address books and everything, but uh, a little bit quicker way to contact him. Or you could send some tweets to him At, at Art, Art Guillotine.
0: Unfortunately, AOTG was taken at on okay. Twitter.
1: So, at Art Guillotine and at Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Art Guillotine.
0: Yeah. So, Lauren. Yes. That's this week yeah. in uh, Art of the Guillotine News.
1: Super duper. Yeah. I think we should go because Buster's going to eat everything out of my purse. All right. And I don't even know what's in there. I'd
0: like to thank Mark Woan for allowing me to interview him and taking part in the Focal Press article that's coming out. Yep. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock. I'd like to thank. Thanks. uh, Burkell. I'd like to thank uh, Paul Day for setting that up, that interview. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.